The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, October 8th, the Enjoy the Ball edition with Abby Wambach. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom to three littles, Henry, eight, Oliver, six, and Teddy, who is now four. I am located right now in Navarre, Florida, but we have another hurricane headed at us, so we'll see where I am next week. I'm Jamila Lemieux. I am a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, uh, and host of Slate's The Kids Are Asleep, and mom to Naima, who is seven, and we live in Los Angeles, California. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm a writer at Slate. I'm the author of the book, How to Be a Family. I'm the dad of Lyra, who's 15, and Harper, who's 13. We live in Arlington, Virginia, and I am excited to talk about sports. Yes, well, we have a special sports show for you listeners today. We'll be joined by the one and only Abby Wambach. For those of you that don't know, Abby has won two Olympic gold medals with Team USA. She's a FIFA Women's World Cup champion and is in the National Soccer Hall of Fame. And she'll be here with us today to answer questions about helping an athletic kid harness his potential. Then we'll be answering a question about dealing with those parents yelling from the sidelines. You know the ones. The ones who are so intense about the game that you think they were either the coach of a college team or had money on the line. And as always, we'll have triumphs and fails and recommendations. Usually we'd save this for the business, but we're so excited we want to let you know now. If you've ever listened to us and wondered, hmm, I wonder what their faces look like. Well, you're in luck. We have a live mom and daughter fighting show next week, Wednesday, October 14th. We'll be live on Facebook and YouTube. It's at 8 p.m. Eastern, so mark your calendars. Plus, you'll be able to ask us questions live. It will be fun, so don't miss it. One more time, we'll be streaming live on Slate's YouTube and Facebook pages, as well as in the parenting group at 8 p.m. Eastern on October 14th. For links and more information, go to slate.com slash live. All right. Jamila, do you have a triumph or a fail for us this week? I have what could be categorized as either, depending on how you view it. So the other day, Naima and I were at our our new digs. We were running around trying to get stuff. I don't know. This was like maybe the last day. Like we moved for days. Like I definitely spent one day driving back and forth between the two houses. And I think this was that day. So I was also like trying to feed her because like I don't eat all day, you know, like so I, I like I can go all day without eating. I won't think about food. And then she's like, um, hi, you have to feed and water me like regularly. And I was like, oh, yeah. And so I go to my <laughs> super mom snack or lunch. Hopefully it was a snack. I can't remember uh, of two croissants from Starbucks because one is, is inadequate, but we're also not stopping getting a real meal. So you can have two croissants and feel like you've got a little something on your stomach for a second. So we're in like a super big hurry. I can't remember if I was like in a rush to like get her back to her dad or, you know, or whatever it was like, everything's time sensitive at this point. And so I go and get the croissants and we are perhaps back at the house real quick, back at the new apartment and then heading back out. And she's like, oh, they only gave us one croissant. And I'm like, what? And so we have to go back to Starbucks. We're already behind for whatever, because justice for my child. And so I didn't look in the bag because I thought like there was literally like a bottle of juice or a bottle of water and two croissants. Like there's no way that like I don't need to double check her work on this. So I look at the Starbucks app to double check. Like, yes, I did. In fact, order two croissants. And so I pull over in front, you know, right in front of Starbucks. And somehow between when I got out of the car and got to the front of the line, my app was glitching. So I couldn't even see my most recent order. I could see like my order from a few days past, but the guy had it on his system. I said, Hey, I was only given one croissant. So he pulls it up. He sees I paid for two croissants. He's like, okay. And he gives me another one. And so I, you know, get in the car, be Naima, get to where I'm going. Long day, very long day, drop her off at her dad's house. And so finally uh, at the end of this very long day, I'm in the car I was getting ready to go for a little walk and have a little mom self-care time with a little greenery, if you will. And I see the Starbucks bag. I'm like, oh, you know, let me get the garbage out the car. And there's a whole ass croissant in there. What a gift to you from <laughs> Naima. It was literally, so like my child left me yeah. a lunchy snack. But now I've been wondering, cause she's been at her dad's house since this happened. She comes back today. How in the hell? Do you miss 
It's whole croissant. And not only was it so like one was warmed and one wasn't, the one that she left was warmed. Naima does not like it when they warm her croissants. And I realized like I accidentally had ordered one warm and one nothing. So she told me that there now I'm really litigating this in my head mm-hmm. for the first time because I've been laughing about this all weekend. Like, how could she miss an entire croissant? And now I'm like, wait, you can't miss a no. hot croissant. It's no, fine. she gave you a gift. So you got to go for a little walk, have a little smoke, eat your yep. croissant. It's like being on the left bank of Paris in 1948. So nice. It was so good. <laughs> it was so good. And right on time, like exactly when I needed it. Big triumph right there. The yeah. Gift of Paris. The, exactly. Now the power move is to go back into Starbucks 10 minutes later again <laughs> and just say the exact same thing and see how many times they will continue to give you croissants. I think that's a very good idea. I very excitedly joined the Nextdoor app so I could track our new neighborhood, but like I joined it before we moved. So I was like, oh, well, in the meantime, I can be messy and like, not messy, but nosy about the current neighborhood. So you can only change it a certain number of times in 30 days. So I had to wait. So today was the first day that I could change it to the new neighborhood. And I'm like obsessively checking it to make sure that like nobody is like, or I'm planning to obsessively check it to make sure nobody is like complaining about me walking around and smoking. But I also now have to think about like, will some Starbucks barista be like, does anyone know the lady with the little girl in the convertible who comes in here stealing croissants? Because that little girl is so cute and I'd give her croissants every day if I could. (laughs) That's probably exactly how it will work out (laughs) if she's involved. Good one. I like that story. Definitely a triumph in my opinion. I also have a triumph. Our family has been in a real weekend rut recently. I mean, it hasn't really felt like a rut because we're all... We spend our weekends basically doing things that we each enjoy, right? Like I'm writing and playing tennis and Ali is gardening and Harper's playing with a friend and Lyra's on her computer, the things she enjoys. And, you know, sometimes we go out and play pickleball or whatever, but, you know, our weekends have been very samey for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And we just haven't gone out really because you can't go out, right? But the other weekend, our friend Leslie mentioned, like maybe two o'clock or something on Saturday afternoon that, you know, she was busy that night because an orchestra that she's in, Leslie is a semi-professional, very good oboe player. She mentioned that her orchestra had an outdoor concert in DC, just that, you know, at some big apartment complex had hired her orchestra to just play in the courtyard on Saturday evening so that the residents could like sit on their balconies and listen to them. That's lovely. It just dawned on me that, you know, Jesus, I really miss going out (laughs) doing stuff. And it is now actually possible to go out and do things safely. So all four of us went downtown and we got sandwiches and we listened to, you know, Dvorak's New World Symphony by a fountain. And then we got ice cream. And at the end, Lyra was like, oh, that was really nice. I liked that. And so then this weekend we did it again. Not, we didn't go listen to the New World Symphony again, but this time we went to the zoo because the National Zoo is now open with timed entry. And, you know, our kids are old enough that they don't really care about the zoo anymore, but that wasn't really the point. We just met some friends there and we all walked around and we looked at cute babies and saw the elephants and we all wore our masks and we got ice cream, obviously. And then once again, at the end of it, Lyra was like, oh, that was pretty, that was pretty good. I like that. So obviously it's a great lesson to learn that the way to get Lyra to enjoy going out is to almost never do it. But I'm also just pleased in general with us, with it like sort of finally dawning on me that, oh, we're six or seven months into this pandemic. The world is mostly still closed, but like people are starting to figure out safe and fun things that you can do out in the world that aren't just like sitting under a heat lamp at an outdoor cafe and we should find those and do them. I know Elizabeth is laughing at me now because she's been doing all these things every weekend uh, like for her entire life, including the pandemic. But, you know, we just had been, we'd been a little bit stuck. And so uh, my triumph is that I feel good that we got ourselves unstuck. All credit, by the way, to Alia, who was the one who like made it all happen. And me, the credit for taking credit for it. And the real moral is ice cream equals good time. That's Yeah, that's true. And Alira's <laughs> quotes were both immediately after eating the yeah, ice cream. exactly. Wait, yeah. if I leave the house, I get ice cream? Right. You can add dessert yeah. to literally anything make it better like i have most of my aunts and uncles are jehovah's witnesses and at one point when i was a kid my mother perhaps had surgery or something and i had to go stay with one of them for a couple of days and i had to go on field service as in like knocking on people's doors which 
for me, like beyond it just not being my religion and not something that I was enthusiastic about, just as a kid with a little bit of anxiety, like the idea of knocking on strangers' doors was horrific. It was terrifying on Halloween, you know, at least then there was candy on the other side. And so I had to do that. But on this particular occasion, I remember there was a promise of Dunkin' Donuts afterwards, and I soldiered on. It is amazing the shit you can get kids to do if you just promise them something afterwards. Exactly. All good outings should include some kind of treat. Jamila, that just reminded me of when I had a paper route when I was 12, 13. Every fall, the district manager would take a bunch of kids out to Canvas, like to knock on doors to try and sell subscriptions to the Milwaukee Sentinel. And we, so we would just be like wandering neighborhoods in Milwaukee, just like knocking on doors. But at the end of it, we always got to go to Burger King. <laughs> that was huge. We could, and he would just buy us whatever the fuck we wanted at Burger King. So, man. I never sold a single <laughs> subscription, but I ate Burger King two or three nights a fall while I had that paper out. And to think you still hate Paul after all of that. Uh, <laughs> you're right. You're right. Elizabeth, what about you? Trying for fail. Okay. I have a fail. It was Teddy's birthday this weekend. and Happy birthday, Teddy. Happy birthday. And yes, he is the lovely age of four. But I think that there's something about having a birthday this far into the pandemic that causes my in-laws and my parents to they they did i want to first say they sent a lovely gift of a of a space costume for him that he adores they also included i have a prop this also came do you know what this is this this is a teddy ruxpin so teddy ruxpin is a a small animatronic (laughs) bear takes a cassette tape in the back from the 80s and was a popular children's toy and so the cassette tape plays his voice and then his little demonic mouth moves along with what the cassette tape is saying. And his eyes sometimes And he, he was a flutter. big toy, oh, yeah. though, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. Like, there was a Saturday morning cartoon show for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. It was a big deal. Holy it came shit. with all of the outfits, all of the cassette tapes. My four-year-old Teddy is terrified of it. But guess who loves it, guys? Oliver. Oliver mm-hmm. loves it. The tapes are so worn down that it sounds like the devil himself speaking out of this bear. I'd mouth. like to hear Teddy Ruskin okay, say a little see. something let's to us, see. please. I don't know what tape is in here, but we will. Now, I forgot how to turn it off for a while because. Um... Oh, a Christmas CD is the, the worst possible. He's dressed like me. He has on like a He fur. came with, with many <laughs> outfits and a giant worm that hooks from his butt into the worm's butt, which my children's love. The worm does not work at all. It just makes a creaking robot sound. Guys, I don't know what to do because... This is truly horrifying. It's horrifying. This is Oliver's glowing review of this. Not his gift, but Teddy said he could have it. Was like, he looks soft, but he's not soft because he's a bad robot. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but all night we heard this thing turning on because Oliver would just, as he woke up, would turn it on using the volume switch <laughs> and it's nice and loud singing the Christmas thing. They've learned to re roll the cassette tapes. So, thank you, dear in laws. I mean, the fail is like that this is in my home. like that like i i'm not sure how i let this like how did i not pre-open the package how did i not put an end to this you know his mom was like we're sending something that jeff loved that i just know this is jeff's actually total ruxpin he remembers none of the outfits though um (laughs) and this is the one oliver picked it's in like a nice little snow hood i mean he wears like these overalls because his body is hard because it has a cassette because he's a bad player. He's a bad robot. I have taken a screenshot of Teddy Ruskin. Okay, well, I could also take um, a picture. I can post a picture. No, no, I got, okay. I got a good picture. <laughs> okay. uh, we'll be posting this on the show page as well, so you can see this horrifying nightmare bear. Please enjoy. I guess before we move on, let's do the business. Tonight, Thursday, October 8th, is Jamila's Slate Live show, The Kids Are Asleep. Make sure you tune in. She'll be joined by Alencia Johnson, senior advisor to presidential candidate Joe Biden. They'll be unpacking the vice presidential debate. Tune in at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, and we'll have links to Slate's YouTube and Facebook pages in our show notes or check out slate.com slash live. 
We've got a lot of amazing parenting content coming at you these days. Slate's parenting newsletter is the best place to be notified about everything, including mom and dad are fighting, the kids are asleep, ask a teacher, care and feeding, and much, much more. It's a fun personal email from Dan each week. So sign up at slate.com slash parenting email. If you need even more parenting advice, join our parenting group on Facebook. It's super active, it's moderated, and it doesn't get too out of control. Just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. In Slate Plus, we have a bonus triumphs and fails round. Here's a quick sneak peek of what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus. It was more like I thought I was magical. And so why wouldn't they just put me on the varsity baseball team? It was like a real peak teen coice move. So I feel like that's a real fail. To hear segments like that and get ad-free podcasts, sign up for Slate Plus. It's just $35 for your first year, and it's a great way to support all your favorite Slate podcasts. And you won't hit a paywall on the site. So you can keep up with all of Slate's journalism. So if you'd like to support Mom and Dad Are Fighting, go to slate.com slash plus and join Slate Plus today. All right, we're back. And here with us is soccer legend, Abby Wambach. Thank you so much for joining us, Abby. Oh, are you kidding me? Thank you for having me. Like, this is such an honor. I love you guys. I love your podcast. Let's do this. Well, we're so excited that you're going to be helping us give some advice. So as always, our question is being read by the fabulous Shasha Leonard. Dear mom and dad, my kid is weirdly athletic and I don't really know how to deal with it. He's four. I know. I know. I'm asking this very early and believe me, I know how it sounds, but he's really intense about it. He's been obsessed with soccer since he started walking, and he's a huge kid, extremely high energy. When I was a kid and my mom forced me to do soccer, I spent my time sitting in the grass and hoping nobody would pass to me. But my kid willingly spends hours at a time in the backyard, just like dribbling around and shooting in the goal we set up for him. Because of his size, we asked his youth soccer organization if he could move up out of their preschool program and into their rec soccer league a little early. He had his first game the other day and was running roughshod over kids who are almost two years older than him. I assumed that when we moved him up, things would even out. But seeing him play has made me have a bit of an internal crisis. I want to support him in whatever he's into. But I also feel like I need to emotionally prepare myself for this not being something he grows out of. I've always been a non-athletic nerd, and sports moms kind of freak me out. How do I encourage him in this thing that brings him so much joy and help him grow to his fullest potential, whatever that might be? When will I know that this is something that he might, like, make his life's passion? Should I start investigating special schools or something? I really have no idea about any of this. Thank you. So, Abby, what advice do you have for our letter writer? Well, I'm not really in the business of giving advice. What I am, though, is I'm an expert in the world of soccer. What I would say first and foremost is congratulations. Like, it sounds like this mother is so stressed. It sounds like you're so nervous that your kid, like, he doesn't have a disease or is unhealthy in any way. Like, he's a perfectly healthy kid doing perfectly normal things. So first and foremost, like, just let's all take a breath, right? And understand that you've got a long road ahead of you and raising this child all the way through his 18th birthday. Okay. And this is probably not going to be a problem. This is a good thing. So embrace that. Secondly, I think, you know, for me, I've got three children of my own and the only wish I have for them is for them to find something that they're passionate about and that they go after and that it challenges them and that it forces them to look at themselves or question. And for me, that's exactly what this child seems, you know, from your letter to be exhibiting. This feels like something that either comes natural or this is something that he's taken on as a passion, right? And it's soccer, right? It's sport. It doesn't mean that he's going to become a professional athlete, okay? It might mean that, but it doesn't mean that he's going to become a professional athlete and you don't have to worry about those things right now. Oftentimes our kids will guide us. We just have to embrace that. I think that too often we put our own selves in the perspective of the child that makes us, you know, live vicariously through our children. It's a joke, right? Like 
he's going to tell you in any kind of way. You just have to listen what he wants and how he wants it. It's the job of a parent to put your children in environments for them to thrive. Uh, if he's already passionate about soccer and he's already doing it in the backyard, like you are in such a small minority, you know, I've got to force my kids. I've had to force my kids to learn how to work really hard outside and, and put their body through immense trial. And this whole story makes me think of my mom because when I was four or five years old, I played in my first rec team and it was a co-ed team and I scored 27 goals in the first three games. Now, my mom pulled me off the field when the games were over and she's like, okay, so why didn't you pass the ball more? And I just like matter of factly said, well, isn't the whole point of soccer to score more goals than the other team? <laughs> and if I can do that better than anybody else, then like, what's the problem? Like, these are the rules that were handed to me and I'm playing within them. Extremely reasonable. So reasonable and also like super cocky. Right. So I think that she realized at that point, okay, there's going to need to be a little bit of uh, force that she applies, a little bit of pressure that she applies to make sure that I don't grow into that kind of cockiness that she was a little bit afraid. So she started early on driving humility <laughs> into my bones <laughs> and into my flesh. And it took, I, I really do believe in the concept of team. I think that that is our jobs as parents, right? Is if your kid does find the passion and you think that like, oh, you know, you're not a sports person as a parent and how you're going to learn this stuff. That's actually a positive, right? Because you're not going to be putting yourself in a position to tactically break down his games or, or go to all of his practices and try to coach him, right? Like leave the coaching up to the coaches. I'm not going to say that all coaches are experts, but at least they're in the position and it gives a kid this idea that there are other people outside of my parents that are in positions of power that I have to listen to and I have to learn from and I have to respect. Right. So I don't know, you know, kids like this have a tendency to continue on uh, and they will teach you and they will show you the road, but it's, it's our job as parents to just ensure that we're putting our kids in environments where they are growing. Right. So just keep doing what you're doing. And three things that we share with our kids when they walk off the soccer field, questions and comments, right? Number one, I love watching you play, period. Number two, how did that feel? How did it feel out there? And number three, what was something that you learned today that you hadn't, didn't know before? And that is it. That is all you need to say to your kids after soccer games, because anything more you are indirectly telling them that your love is conditioned on them being good or, or not messing up on the field. The whole thing with sports is making mistakes and dealing with it and making mistakes and dealing with it. This mother and this son, you might have a, a full life ahead of you that is completely soccer involved. And also in seven seven years, maybe this kid decides, hey, I'm going to take up piano or I'm going to take up theater or I'm going to take up something totally different. And that's also going to be a part of your job and your role is to encourage and create that environment for that kid to succeed. Because, you know, the one thing that I know is if I could go back and tell my mom to do certain things with me, it'd be like, hey, how about you sit down and read with me a little bit more? How about we focus a little bit more attention on some human elements that I missed because I was a little bit too focused on soccer, you know, and she might argue, well, it worked, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I get that. But at the end of the day, you know, our jobs as parents is to make sure that we try to give our kids the environment for them to completely thrive as a full human, not just like athlete. So yeah, don't worry about professional sports yet. Like that will happen if, and that's an outcome that's so far away uh, to not even stress about or worry about at this point. For someone who doesn't give advice, that's very good advice. <laughs> you know, this mom is in a kind of a unique position because it seems like a lot of her anxiety is wrapped up in her own view of her own non-sportiness. And 
her sense that she doesn't know or care about sports that much, but she also can view this as an opportunity, right? She has an opportunity to basically learn this game at the same time that her son is learning it. And I know a lot of non-athletic parents who never cared about sports before, who found that they really fall in love with the sport because their kids love it. And so if, if this mom is interested in sort of trying to figure out, you know, what soccer is and, and how she might fall in love with it, what are some things she can do with her son to help maybe see if this is something that she might learn to like? Yeah. I mean, watch it, right? I mean, nowadays you have so much more soccer or football being played on television or you can watch it from European soccer to um, American soccer. Like there are places that you can watch this game that has, you know, when I was growing up, there was no soccer to be seen on television. And now every weekend you can watch EPL, you can watch La Liga, you can watch so many great soccer games happening with your son. So it can become a family unified um, experience and like an event that you do as a family. And the other side of that coin is that my mom still does not know what offside is. <laughs> so if it doesn't interest you, you can be there for your kid, watch the games with him and also still have no idea what's going on for the whole of his career. And you'll still be fine. My mom <laughs> is proof of that. I think it would be really cool to find the the intersection of your interests and things that you want to do and experience with your child and their interest in soccer. So, you know, he's four. So this is around the time where you're starting to teach him to read, right? Or, you know, reading a storybook at night is oftentimes a part of, you know, your daily ritual or maybe something you're doing in the afternoon too. you know, read books about soccer, right? Like, you're a nerd. He's an athlete now. There you go. You can you can read about sports together. <laughs> I'm not a huge sports person. It's something I wish was encouraged in me as a kid in ways that it wasn't. My parents let me, you know, I appreciate it. I was given the freedom to, if you want this, go for it. But if you don't, we're not pushing you. I wish there had been some nudging. My daughter's really into sports, particularly basketball via her father and something that he's always been really intentional about that has also helped to connect me to it a little bit is watch women's soccer too. You know, just because you have a son, you shouldn't assume that the only soccer players that he wants to see are men, you know, and for me, I always liked basketball, but watching women play basketball is infinitely more gratifying for me. You know, like it's just really getting to know some of their backstories and just seeing them on social media. It, it's really made it a a great experience for me. So don't think that because you have a son that he's only going to want to see boys. And I think it's also in terms of raising a progressive son who, you know, has a healthier relationship to gender than most folks are trained to have, uh, exposing him to women's soccer as well as men's soccer could be really helpful. Mm, I love that answer. I love that answer so much. It's so good because especially our women's national team and the success that they have in the World Cup, you know, our women's team is wins more yeah. than our men's <laughs> So if you want to get behind a winning team, just have your kids sit down, watch our women's national team play in any game or any tournament. You're going to find some really amazing soccer players and, and also be fighting for women's rights and also learning the, the art of feminism, even just watching right. Women's sports is an act of, of feminism and, and, and activism to its core. I mean, it's there's awesome. no currently more fun team to watch than Absolutely. the U S women's national team. So you're not, you're certainly not accepting some lesser version of no. the sport. Exactly. By watching that team. I love how you pointed out, like when your mom asked you about like, why didn't you pass the ball? Because I think so often as parents, like these things that our kids are very into and very passionate about are often the places where we should be the most hands off, like letting them lead that way. But looking and then saying like, well, what are those other areas and how can we parent them in those places and how can we parent them through this thing that they love? And I mean, Jamila, you talked about reading books, which I love, but also talking about this like character development and these other things that come, I think, with in society like kids that are good at sports get these other benefits a lot of times like your child is bigger and he is rougher and he's running over these kids and there's that's that's great in the sport but how then do we also teach them like off the field those rules and those about being a team player and about being a team player with your team even the people who aren't as good and looking for those opportunities as well I think is an important part of parenting someone who is really enthusiastic about the sports mm -hmm. like making sure that they're well-rounded but still 
still enthusiastic. I also had written down that I think the more you can let them play and put them in places to play, the better. Like we talk about so much the importance of practice, but at this age, that's like about encouraging them to play, bringing the soccer ball with you and letting them practice when you go to the park and having that available to hone those skills on their own when they want in a really fun environment. Because I think often that as we get older, um, and you could definitely speak to this, like at, at some point the sport can become not fun and more of like work and a job. And I think so much of the foundation you can lay now is like, this is really fun and you really love that and that's awesome. Yeah, I think that something that you said just really hit me. First of all, European soccer, where soccer is really famous and, um, you know, arguably better, that is a very big tenet of the way that they let their younger kids in the younger youth programs develop is just that they're not getting them in like too much of a structured environment. They just let them go out and play and enjoy the ball is what they say. Just enjoy the ball, right? And I think that that's super important because you're right. As you get older and you get more elite and you get more advanced, you get into a system that is created to literally pump out pros, right? And that does feel like a job at some point. And just to go back to what you were saying at the beginning, something that I think is really important um, for parents to understand Uh, about sports is that there is so much to be taught, right? But the deal is, is the kid has to learn the lessons. It is not for a parent to teach them the lesson that they are hoping their kid is going to learn. It's up to the parent to ask questions when they walk off the field, right? Don't tell them what you think that they should learn. Ask them questions you know, psychology and science is, is in my corner on this. Like the kid has to learn the lessons themselves rather than it being forced down their throat by their parents. And like all human beings understand, like when our parents tell us something, we don't want to listen, whether it's true or not. Right. So let the child come to understand some of these concepts about teamwork and uh, pride and jealousy and competition, like all of those things they will learn, but not when you are teaching them, right? This is why we put the kids in sports is so that they learn it from their peers or their coaches. Teamwork, leadership, and pride are big issues at play in your book, Wolfpack. And so we wanted to make sure to talk about that a little bit. It's out now. Uh, It's called Wolfpack, the Young Readers Edition. So tell us a little bit about who is this book for and and what are you hoping that they are going to pick up from this book? Mm. Yeah, so uh, I wrote this book um, because a couple of years ago, I gave the commencement speech at Barnard College. And from that, I was able to turn that speech into a book called Wolfpack. And it's a book for adults. And I decided I wanted to adapt it for the next generation because I felt like the concepts in it are applicable to kids also, right? And I believe deeply that there's no more important time than right now to hand the children of the world, books about leadership that are based on honor, right? I think that so much of what we're seeing in the world feels so confusing to our kids and ourselves, by the way. And so this book, right, it's it's a compilation of stories that tries to teach leadership rules and lessons that I learned from playing on the women's national team. And there's a direct correlation to our success on the field and this book. It's literally like, the most pared down version. If I were to, if I were to hand this book to somebody, I'd say, this is how our women's national team found success again and again and again. And so can you, right? And so I talk about lessons in this book and rules. And a lot of what I believe is that kids don't feel like they have the power to make a decision for themselves, right? Because their parents are ruling their lives or whatever. But this book can give a kid the sense that they can decide what they eat right? They can decide how often they're exercising. They can decide what they're doing with their mentality and how they're approaching certain philosophies of of failure and, and overall, obviously, leadership. So for me, this book is about giving kids the tools to become the leaders that they dream of being one day. And then also a platform and understanding of how we need to collect our pack, collect our people to do life with right? We hear this cliche all the time is you become who you hang out with, like your environment. And it's true, right? If we are hanging out with kids 
that are vaping, if we're hanging out with kids that are just mean and make us feel bad about ourselves, we have to change that. We have the power and we get to decide who we spend our life with, who we hang out with, right? And also when you build a pack, it doesn't mean you're gonna be best friends with every single person on a team or in your classroom or whatever. But when you all agree to a common goal, and in my experience with sport, the common goal was winning and our team had a relentless pursuit of excellence. That's, that was like the ethos, that like the mindset. And when we all bought into that, we had a better chance of winning. And it didn't matter if we liked each other or were best friends, we all had to learn to respect each other because we all sacrificed everything for that common goal. And it is possible. It is possible to lead in this new age, this modern era of technology and, and social media and lots of people having lots of opinions. Like it is possible. And, and this book is proof for me. Sounds amazing. Sounds like something we all uh, sort of need at this moment and definitely um, for that younger generation. In fact, our, our listener should uh, <laughs> check it out as well for some lessons to teach. Well, leadership with honor. What a concept. Leadership with honor. I know. Right. Something the world needs. Well, Abby, we are so excited that you could join us today and you gave just some really lovely advice for someone who says they're not in the business of giving <laughs> advice. I think there was a lot of real wisdom here. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So Wolfpack Young Readers Edition is out this week. We'll put a link to the book in the show notes if you'd like to pick it up. Good luck, listener, to you and your little athlete. If you're at home and have a question for us, send it our way. You never know. Maybe Abby Wombach will join us to answer <laughs> your question. Email us at slate.com or post it in our Slate Parenting Facebook group. Well, let's jump into our second question. As always, our question is being read by the fabulous Shasha Leonard. Dear Mom and Dad, my seven-year-old is on a soccer team. I watch the practices and the matches on the weekends. I understand my role as a spectator. I understand the coach's role to direct. I believe that telling the kids what to do is the coach's job, not the parents. My perspective is obviously not widely shared. There are parents who yell the whole practice sessions and the matches, telling their kids what to do. I feel like the kids end up all confused not knowing what to do, not focusing on the game, trying to please their parents. But whatever. Here's the real problem. My patience is close to zero now. Every time they yell something, I feel like telling them to go and fill out an application to coach. Every single game, I have less tolerance for it. And this is only the beginning. How do you deal with all the groups of parents you are forced to deal with, yet you don't agree with their approaches? Thank you. I also hate those parents. <laughs> I try very hard not to be that parent. Uh, even in sports where my impulse is to yell something at the field. But so my main advice is don't suck it up and deal with it. It's get the parents to stop doing it. Now, one way to do this is to just address each of them personally right there on the field. I think you'll maybe have more luck if you work through your son's coach, who almost certainly hates this and who also almost certainly knows that it's totally detrimental to the player's development. One thing you can come to your coach and say is, well, I heard on my favorite podcast, Mom and Dad are Fighting, Abby Wambach say, leave coaching to the coaches. In fact, U.S. Youth Soccer, it's the official organization that oversees your son's league and all the leagues in the United States, specifically says that parents should not do this. In fact, I'll read from their recommendations. A common problem in youth soccer is the impulse that parents have to shout instructions to their young player from the sideline, it's especially difficult for a child because he or she has a tendency to refer to what a parent says, which often conflicts with the instruction from the coach. Now, we'll post a link to this on our show page. I recommend that you and the coach together email this link to all the parents and say, look, parents, I, I love that you're so enthusiastic. You can lie and say, I'm really enthusiastic too. But 10 out of 10 experts agree that our kids will get better at soccer in fact, they will win more games and have a better time if we are not yelling at them from the sidelines. So please stop yelling at your children from the sidelines. What do you guys think? I also hate those parents. I would probably get a good pair of headphones. Um, 
don't necessarily know that you have to hear a soccer match to know everything that's going on. I could be wrong, um, but it may be the case that you just have to tune these folks out and just keep your eyes on the ball, to use an old cliche. I think I fall somewhere between you guys. Like, I am probably unlikely to approach the screaming parent. However, I have married someone that will. So, you know, step one for me would be to sick Jeff on them, who has this great way of just, like, getting the parent who's doing this into some kind of conversation so that they cannot yell about a play on the field or something like that. And then basically empathizing with them, like you know, it must be really frustrating to watch this happen. And then somehow telling them not to yell all while maintaining and building a friendship. That is not necessarily a skill that I have. So I have taken to some other tactics. Like I have not sunken below handing out candy to a parent that was doing this, like a mint or something, because (laughs) with something in their mouth, they couldn't scream. I literally offered around a bunch of mints and (laughs) just sort of put the kibosh on it. I, (laughs) you know, (laughs) here comes the weird mint lady, but you know what? It solves the problem. (laughs) Uh, Next time. Yes, I'm like something really... This is too easy so they can't hey, parents, yell. have some Laffy Taffy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I also think, like, nobody likes this parent. So if this is something that is happening, I absolutely agree with Dan that you should talk to the coach. I absolutely think that that should be, like, something that the team as a whole takes on. I think there are, like, parent meetings and opportunities to really express kind of what your team values are. And I think that's a good way to structure it. Like we as this youth team have this value where we like want our kids to have fun and we want them to enjoy this. And this behavior is distracting from that. So I, if you frame it like that too, it seems less like, hey, you stop yelling or just go find like the Jeff that exists in that group and sick, <laughs> sick them on him. You should rent Jeff out. I know he would be yeah. really good at this. <laughs> He always makes friends with these people, too. And then he sits by them and talks to them the whole time. Because I think a lot of time these people just get... I don't think anyone goes to the game thinking they're this person. I think they think they're being an enthusiastic parent cheering on a game the same way they would cheer on a professional game. With, like, no sense. I mean, Abby talked about how... When you do this, your child perceives, like, uh, my value to you has to do with this game on the field. But, like, what parent thinks that? You know, you think I'm helping my child or I'm cheering them on or I'm providing them this advice. I I just think it comes from kind of a mistaken place. But it is really, really annoying. I also think because this letter writer is so annoyed by it, like, I wonder if it's as bad as it really is. I mean, we've all been to games, so we know there's someone there. Definitely as bad as it really is. And I get the impression (laughs) from this letter that multiple parents are doing it, which has been my experience at almost every soccer game I've ever gone to. That like everyone is doing is like That, that at least three or four different parents are constantly coaching their kids on the field. Listen, I'm like at the sporting match to occupy my children and socialize. So I am like running a small happy hour on the side. Usually <laughs> like there are snacks for parents. There are drinks. This is like my social time while my children are doing something else. So I must just either be distracted or people are too distracted by my by my smorgasbord to uh, to be <laughs> worried about the game. That's usually me. If there's some sort of activity, we haven't gotten into sports yet. I guess the season in which that would have happened was the one that got shut down by COVID. The first season, I should say. But I usually show up to activities with lots of snacks and distractions. That's, That's me. me too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. I'm like this is this is their thing. My thing is the social hour over here. Somebody need ice? I can go get ice. <laughs> <laughs> right. Someone sprained an ankle. I'm on it. <laughs> I have two other pieces of advice for this parent. One is, I don't know if you two have heard of silent soccer. No. That is a thing that a lot of leagues do where one game per season, there will just be a rule that no one on the sidelines can talk, not even the coach. And you just abide by that if you're going to go to the game. And if you can't abide by it, you are encouraged not to come to the game at all. And it is invariably the game that the kids have the most fun. You might want to talk to league officials about trying silent soccer out just for one game this season to see how it goes over and see if parents learn anything from that. And then one other thing I noticed in this letter, which really raised my eyebrows, I cannot stress this enough, stop attending practices. Sure, you can go to games, but there is absolutely no reason for you or any other parent to attend a soccer practice. Soccer practice is free babysitting for you. And you should spend that hour 
going to Trader Joe's or having an affair or just doing something that is not standing on the sideline watching your kids practice. That's crazy. Don't do that. So, <laughs> right. Dan what? told you to have an affair. Do something constructive, for God's sake, but don't watch practice. That's, that is the worst idea I've ever heard. And you have, if you follow this advice, you've instantly cut out one half of your interactions with these annoying parents. That's true. So I, yeah, I was going to say that you are in charge of your own body and you can move yourself away and still be (laughs) present for your child. So, I mean, I think there is like the larger issue that this is detrimental to the children playing, that I think it should be addressed. But if it's like a you issue, you can move yourself, like go sit somewhere else on the field. Like the field is large. Get those headphones that Jamila recommended. Get your headphones, listen to something else, be present, be watching. But, you know, obviously you're not involved, but maybe the parent that's screaming needs a pair of headphones. They could be involved in something else. Well, I'm not sure that we've uh, solved this person problem. We may have created, <laughs> created some new new problems recommending affairs, but, you know, <laughs> cross that bridge another day. Good luck, listener. Let us know how it goes. Did you confront them? Did you hand out candy? We want to know. If you want us to help you, send in your question or conundrum to slate.com. All right, well, now it's time for recommendations where we tell you things we like that we think you should try. So, Dan, what do you have for us? I'm recommending Cribbage, a classic card game that I used to play with my grandpa all the time. Uh, I recently taught it to my kids, and it really hits the sweet spot, the right mix of skill and luck. I've talked about this before on the show. There are you know, so many card games that kids love that are just horrible for adults to play because they're only about luck. You know, like war is the worst fucking game on the face of the earth. Then there are games that require so much skill that it's very difficult to get kids into them unless you're willing to just endlessly lose on purpose because otherwise you would just beat them all the time. But so finding a game like right in the middle where it's strategic enough to be fun for you, but there's enough luck involved so that a kid wins sometimes, even if they don't have years of experience is great. And cribbage is just right for this. Plus, it has a little board with pegs and kids like doing the pegs. But it's just like a good, simple, easy to understand card game that works really well intergenerationally. So we've been playing a lot in our house. That sounds great. Jamila, how about you? Okay, so I'm going to recommend something that needs no recommendation. But for folks that tend to be a little bit like, so I'm not the person who always tunes into the big show. I didn't get into Game of Thrones. To be fair, I don't really do death and violence in my entertainment. But like, you know, even with, with comedy sometimes, if there's a big show that everybody's talking about, there's often, there, there's a pretty good chance that I haven't seen it. So I'm super late to this party, but I am proud to say that I jumped in before the Emmys. So that had nothing to do with it. It just led me to learn a lot more about the show that I just discovered. Shit's Creek. If for any reason you have not, and I, a good friend of mine hit me the other day. It was like, yo, have you ever seen Shit's Creek? I'm like, oh my God, it's all I watch now because now I have to see all six seasons immediately. Like I started maybe two, three weeks ago and I'm like about to start, I'm moving a little slowly because I'm savoring it and I've been busy. So I'm just about to start season three. It is so funny. It is so smart. It is so good. It is, it deserves all of the thing. Like, I don't know why there was any controversy about it winning awards and I choose to not know. I'm just going to say it's such a great show if you have not watched it. And I never, I didn't really think of Eugene Levy as a lead in that way. Like I've, I've always seen him as, you know, a character actor. I just haven't seen, I mean, it's just great. And his son, like my, my also my gut reaction was like, Oh, of course him and his son, you know, like, well, if your dad is Eugene Levy, of course we can make a show like, no, it's actually fucking great and you should watch it it's so feel good that's what i like i feel like there's so little out there that's just like so feel good yeah did you guys have the experience of like watching it for a while and being like what's the big deal and then it finally clicks in and you're like oh i get it and now i love these people and would lay down my life for them yeah i mean it it took like a whole season i feel like i was watching it kind of at the beginning of the pandemic we're not uh, there yet i was like we're still in the part where we're like oh this is a pleasant show that we enjoy watching it's coming but i could take it or leave it it clicks and you're like i want it i want that to happen so bad because i want that (laughs) and you're you know one million people have told me that is how their experience with the show works slade actually had a really useful piece that we ran about like well where to start 
if you sort of want that to happen faster and it actually suggests starting with the second season finale. And we did that and we're still, we're not there yet. I think the first part, there's so much character development. There's so much and they grow. And just in the first Mm. two seasons, they grow and change so much. And like, I'll say it's maybe midway through season two is where I'm like, oh, I actually relate to you all. You know, like I care about you as as people as opposed to just like, oh, these are, you know, funny, rich folks that are detached from reality. And, you know, like it doesn't take long for it to become really earnest. And then just Catherine O'Hara. I mean, first of all, she's just so good in this role, but her clothes (laughs) And her and the accent and the <laughs> like it's like what is this accent? What, what is it? I need to start writing down because like every other episode she'll say a word and I'll say how did you pronounce that? Like she said Kate the other day I was like okay, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know. <laughs> it is true that uh, once again the MacArthur Genius Grants have been announced and it's a crime that Catherine O'Hara did not win a MacArthur Genius Grant. But yeah, yes. yeah, she's great, and I never am unhappy to be watching this show, but I still. I still want it to click. I will report back when it finally clicks. Yeah, let us know when it clicks. And when you find out Stevie's last name, by the time <laughs> you see Stevie's last name, you're like, oh, that was the moment. I was like, oh, I love these people. Oh, I sense. know. Yeah. It's so great. Well, I, as usual, have a weird, but this time practical <laughs> recommendation. So this is called the um, Squatchy Shoe Sizer. And if any of you have multiple kids at home and you're now having to order all of their shoes online, this is a great little, like, it's like a plastic thing that sizes kids' shoes. It's just like what they use at the shoe store, but you can do it at home and you can actually mark right on it. So it's a nice, like, I guess, keepsake. For me, like, the kids are constantly growing out of their shoes. Like, they go to put them on and and all of a sudden they're out and then they're not just the next size. They're, like, two sizes <laughs> bigger or something crazy. So This is just a good way. It helps me be able to keep track of them at home. I have recommended this to several of my mom friends who said that this has like changed their life and they're not sending all these shoes back and you can actually just know what to order. So you can get it on Amazon or I'm sure any other kind of places, but it's called the Squatchy Shoe Sizer and I'm sure there'll be a link in the bio. Buying Um, the shoe sizer that you usually use at the shoe store is genius. Selling it even more genius. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, it's just like, cause the shoes, kids shoe sizes also right. don't make any sense. If you're not in that, you know, with three kids, I'm in, in that little realm. Um, and it's pretty terrible. So get one of these and then you can order your kids shoes. I was going to say, I'm ordering one today. The other day, Naima's dad was like, like, yeah, she's definitely like only twos now. Right. And I was like, I've been buying a size two for her for like six months. So right. one of us has been putting her in my shoes for quite some time. My tip on this is to actually use a Sharpie to mark it and mark the date so that when you go to order shoes, you can just grab this plastic thing and you can see the last time you measured and what size because I also can never remember. I'm hopeful that someday they'll sell that x-ray machine that they used to have in shoe stores that people would put their feet in to see what your bone structure looks like inside your shoe. Until then, you can get this piece of plastic and mark, <laughs> mark it and keep it keep it as a as a memento of your of your children's foot size. What more could you want? Well, that's our show. So one more time, if you have questions, email us at slate.com or post it to the Slate Facebook group. Just search for Slate Parenting. And once again, don't miss our live show October 14th at 8 p.m. Eastern on YouTube and Facebook. Go to slate.com slash live for links and information. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson. For Jamila Lemieux and Dan Coyce, I'm Elizabeth Newman.